0: The Latter-day Lives Podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello friends, welcome to episode 183 of the Latter-day Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We really appreciate it. Before we get into this week's incredible conversation with our amazing guest, we do want to thank some new reviewers. We actually have quite a few this week, which is just awesome. On Apple Podcasts, we want to thank uh, usernames, our busy mom of seven, and then Jill, and the little pony. Oh, I love all these names. Uh, Each of them left a five-star review with uh, just some glowing, beautiful words. Thank you so much. We appreciate all of you. And over on Facebook, a special thanks to uh, Dijan Tahik, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Karen Burnside, and Jeremy Grover. And thank you to all three of you for uh, leaving a recommendation and just such wonderful kind words. It's such a joy to read that so many people are enjoying these conversations with our just amazing guests. And speaking of amazing guests, my guest this week on the show, Michelle Pearson. She is a vlogger, a big YouTube personality with just an incredible following who's out there spreading so much good in the world. I loved talking to Michelle. Now, a few times during the conversation, she refers to Uncle Gene, Uh, Uncle Gene is Gene Chittister, who is the producer of our show, and uh, that's right, he is Michelle's uncle, and he was actually on the call with us while we were recording, and it was just so fun. You will love this conversation. And uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, is it just me, or is this getting easier? It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here on the Latter day Lives podcast, it is my pleasure to have a very popular vlogger. And we'll get into what vlogging is in just a minute, but she is out there putting so much good in the world. Michelle Pearson, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here today.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to hear about your life. You've had a a fascinating life, I know. And like I said, you're out there doing so much good in the world. But uh, before we get to know you, Tell us what a vlogger is in case anybody is unfamiliar with vlogging.
1: Okay. So basically I'm a video blogger. So if you don't even know what a blogger is, it's usually somebody that puts something out on a blog, on a website. And I started a YouTube channel and started just putting videos out onto YouTube about 10 years ago now. So I consider myself a vlogger.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I think that if someone hasn't seen it before, it's sometimes informal, it's not scripted, it's you're not acting yeah. anything out. It's your life, you're sharing your life, which is just yep. awesome. So we'll get into what all that is. And by the way, I should just say we're talking tens of thousands of followers. Some of your videos have had well over 100,000 views. So you are a very well loved and well-respected vlogger at that. So, But now let's get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you were born and where you grew up.
1: So I was born in March 1984 here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And when I was four years old, my parents uprooted our family and moved us to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia. And we lived there until I was eleven years old. We moved back to South Jordan, Utah. And then went to high school here. All of that.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's a big jump. So let's unpack this a little bit because (laughs) four years old. Do you remember pre Saudi Arabia? Do you remember packing up and moving?
1: I don't remember that. I had an incident when I was three where I cut open my leg by that's like the only real memory I have pre Saudi Arabia, but I very, very vividly remember the first night in Saudi Arabia, you know, they always say you remember things that are pretty distinct, you know, pretty dramatic or traumatic or whatever it is. Um, I remember that first night very, very well
0: when I was four. (laughs) So what took your family out to Saudi Arabia?
1: My dad is a dentist and one of his dental school buddies told him about a job opportunity in the middle East where he could work at this Royal hospital. And so my dad was doing teeth on, you know, Saudi royalty. And he just thought it was an awesome opportunity to raise his kids abroad. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing childhood for sure.
0: That's incredible. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother and two younger sisters. Amazing. So here you are four years old and you've got this family. Were you raised in the church?
1: Yes. My mom and dad, my mom is a convert. She is from Bangkok, Thailand, and she was baptized when she was 24 before she moved to the United States. So they raised us in the
0: church. All right. So now so many questions I want to ask. So (laughs) a few of them being, first of all, talk about life. uh, Seven years. Uh, growing up in Saudi Arabia.
1: It has defined so much of who I am today. And I'm, to this day, I always tell my parents, I get a little emotional when I think about it, how brave it was of them, especially being a parent now myself, just thinking like leaving everything, you know, to a foreign country and not just any foreign country, but a middle Eastern country where there were so many rules And especially my mom, where she couldn't work, she wasn't allowed to drive, you know, all these different things. And so as a child growing up there, I didn't know any different, right? I mean, I'd only lived in the United States for a couple of years before I'd moved there. So I didn't know any different. But one of the really, really cool things about growing up there was we went to an international school and everybody there was from a different country and everybody there spoke a different language at home and ate different foods. And so there was no normal like there was nobody that didn't fit in because we were all so different <laughs> that uh there was no norm in that sense so it was really really cool to grow up you know from kids from literally all over the world
0: was the main teaching in english
1: yes the main teaching was in english but they made us take French. They made us take Arabic I and mean, we were in first, second, third grade and they were making us learn all these languages, but it was really cool. And I think it really helped me later in life. We can talk about that when I went on a mission and everything, it really helped me pick up languages faster
0: just oh. because I was learning
1: them from such a young age. So.
0: Oh, this is so cool. All right. So <laughs> here you are. Uh, when I was Five, six, seven. I'm going to primary in California. (laughs) What are you doing for primary? Talk about church in the 80s in Saudi Arabia.
1: Also, another really, really fascinating experience. So, technically, it was against the law to worship openly. So, we weren't even allowed to say that we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. We could just say we're Christians. We weren't allowed to legally talk about our church or what we believe in, you know, because it was a Muslim country and every, so our weekends were on Thursday and Friday. So Friday was when we would have church and we had to change our location every Friday. So we couldn't worship in the same place and it was always at somebody's house. So I remember having primary in the bathroom. I remember having Sunday (laughs) school in the laundry room, very vividly, you know, we had a tiny little branch And we just had to be kind of secretive about it where we worshiped because we didn't want people to openly know that we were worshiping Christ and, you know, instead of following the Muslim religion and all of that. So it was very fascinating. (laughs) I should add one thing that I didn't realize how cool this was, obviously, until I was older, but I was able to be baptized in the Red Sea. And, you know, you're a kid and you don't know any different. You're just like, oh, I got baptized in the Red Sea. And my parents are just telling me, do you realize how incredible this is? And there was this really, really steep mountain that we would have to drive down to get to the Red Sea from where we lived. We lived a couple hours away. And you could see a zigzag line on the mountain that was just like worn out. And that was from camels carrying people and goods down the mountain. And so my parents would always tell me, like, this could be where. Nephi lived, told us how cool it was to be living where so many of these incredible things happened. So that's pretty awesome.
0: You got to just pinch yourself. Please tell me that <laughs> sometimes in casual conversation, you just drop that. Just I never <laughs> forget my baptism in the Red Sea when, because that is truly amazing. What a blessing.
1: And my parents would just tell us how cool it was. And, you know, we really didn't know any different because everybody we knew was getting baptized in the Red Sea. My brother got baptized in the Red Sea. And then we came home and we're like, wait, that's the Red Sea.
0: Yeah. So, that yeah, is awesome. unbelievable. All right. So your time comes to an end in Saudi Arabia. Were you mm-hmm. nervous about moving back to the U.S.?
1: Yes, we were terrified. I wanted to. And one of the reasons why we did was I started growing up I was 11 12 years old and I started to have to wear the black abaya because I was Mm. like looking older and they have religious police over there at the time that would yell at you and you could get in trouble if you weren't dressed according to how they thought you should be dressed so my parents were like it's time and my brother was getting older
0: right And they're like
1: it's time for our kids to go back to the United States so we were really scared I was excited but I also didn't really know what it was like to live in the United States. We'd come back and visit my grandparents and stuff, but it's so different than going to school here and actually living here. So we were pretty
0: nervous. (laughs) So talk about the experience of coming back into the U S and where did you move?
1: So initially we moved to Salt Lake city while we were building our home in South Jordan. And my dad wasn't able to come with us at the beginning because he had to finish out his contract in Saudi Arabia. So it was just my mom and my siblings and I, and I remember walking into the school, and the teacher thought it would be so cool to tell the class, "This is the new student, Michelle, and she's you know from Saudi Arabia, and her mom is from Thailand." Like, isn't that so cool? And there was just silence in the class, and nobody thought that was cool because nobody knew where any of those places were, <laughs> and so it was very, very hard. And I I sat alone at recess a lot, oh. you know, because I just. I did not know how to fit the norm and I didn't know I had a slight like british accent because a lot of our teachers in Saudi Arabia were british or they learned english through a british style you know of of their accent and everything and so I was just kind of a weirdo and <laughs> kind of different and so I would sit with my sister at lunch we'd kind of sit together like we don't know how to make friends like we're not used to so many kids you know like our school had 40 kids in it so I go to the school in Salt Lake where there is a few hundred it was pretty overwhelming
0: that is heartbreaking. Did did it make yeah, you I resent sad. the whole experience?
1: I wanted to be in the United States, but I just didn't know how to fit in, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had to this day, I actually was looking her up recently because I wanted to find her um, as an adult. But my teacher at the time, she was actually in the tabernacle choir. And I'll never forget her because I feel like she could sense my, you know, just how awkward I was and how out of place I was. And she really took me under her wing. And I could totally, like looking back as an adult now, little things that she said and little things that she would do to help me fit in or help me out just meant so much to me.
0: That's incredible. The power of one person, just amazing. So you get into your junior high and high school years. What were you into?
1: I did a lot of sports, but in high school, I really, really fell in love with theater. That was kind of where I didn't feel weird. I could just be whatever I wanted to be, and I really took pride in myself in high school to reach out to the kids who were sitting alone at the lunch table because going back to moving here when I was in third grade the first time, um, because we moved back to Saudi Arabia for a year, and then we came back when I was 11 for the final time. Um, I never wanted anybody to feel the way I did, and so theater to me was a great outlet to just be as weird as I wanted to be. (laughs) And it was, it was a great time, just really growing a lot in my testimony a lot also, but just being able to befriend those who didn't have friends was really important to
0: me. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining, uh, just the, the level of empathy it showed you. (laughs) Did you, I think all kids in high school struggle with uh, their identity. I think that's something that all all kids struggle with. You've mm-hmm. got this. I'm, I'm part Thai. Uh, I'm, I'm American. I am mm-hmm. Saudi Arabian, you know, as a part of a heart, part of my heart is there. Yeah. Was that Was that a lot to unpack in your high school years?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean,
0: I remember my mom, she's an incredible
1: cook. She has a restaurant. <laughs> my Uncle Gene knows. <laughs> he regular, he's a regular there. Um, she is an incredible cook, and so she'd be so excited for friends to come over. So she would make this food. And we'd have these families come over, and the kids just say, Ew, this is disgusting. This is gross. What does this look? You know, I mean, they're kids, they've never seen anything. Thai food was not big, you know, in, in the 90s in Utah at the time. And so it was hard because we're trying to relate because we're members and we're in the same ward or um, my mom's trying to get to know people, but you know, these kids, they don't understand. But me as a kid, when I was used to growing up around so much different kinds of food and so many different cultures,
0: right? it was,
1: it was hard because these kids and they're not to blame, you know, but they were just kids. But as a kid, having people make fun of my mom's food or, mm. you know, it was, it was rough. <laughs> it
0: was yeah. hard. Yeah, and then and then one day they tried mango sticky rice and said, and it was I'm "Sold, over. <laughs> it's all over." If I, yeah. I'll tell you that uh, if I can have drunken noodles and mango sticky rice, oh. my life is complete. That's as good as life gets for me. So, oh yeah. wow, what a wild ride! So you get done with high school, what came next?
1: So then I was actually offered a few different theater scholarships, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't know if that was a feasible path (laughs) that because I knew I wanted to be a mom. And I just thought, how can I be a mom and go be an actress in New York city? Or how can I make that work? You know, and so much of my patriarchal blessing talks about my education. And so I was very, very prayerful in what I did. And I, I tell people this and my uncle Gene will appreciate this, but I turned down a theater scholarship to BYU to go to the U.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: because not because I didn't like BYU, but I just didn't want to I felt in my heart it wasn't right for me to continue with theater
0: at that and Jim time still and talks so, to you. That's amazing. That's <laughs> awesome.
1: My in-laws still talk to me too. So bless them.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Uh,
1: but yeah, so then I decided, um, after lots of prayer, I just decided to go with broadcast journalism. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. that's a more that's more feasible to just work and you know, hopefully someday I can get married and I can be a mom and I can do this. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up going to the university of Utah and studying journalism, but I always, always had a place in my heart and I missed theater a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was your experience at the U? I really, really
1: loved it. And it was interesting because not a lot of people from my school went there. So I felt like it was like a whole new world, you know, just, Oh, all these brand new people I had never met. So I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And some of my lifelong friends, I was it's able to incredible. I was there.
0: It's an amazing institution. Like it's really like it is a top notch school. My wife, I'm a little bit biased. My wife uh, got her doctorate at the University of Utah. Oh,
1: that's awesome. It's it's
0: an incredible place. So you mentioned uh, that you served a mission. When did, Mm -hmm. did that happen in the middle of your schooling or did you finish school first?
1: So, I did finish school and I was actually dating a boy my last year, my senior year. And I thought, oh, we're going to get married. And then that's just what I'll do. Then I'll work or something and put him through school kind of thing. And we broke up and we didn't end up getting married. So, I newly graduated and I'm just thinking, what am I supposed to do with my life? <laughs> and I was so heartbroken thinking, oh, that was the path that my life was supposed to take. And all of a sudden, it's just you know, I'm about to graduate in a couple months and I literally have no idea. And I just felt so strongly that every time I was sad, I would just go sit in front of the Salt Lake temple because I lived Mm -hmm. in Salt Lake and it was so easy. And I would just sit there and I would not let myself get depressed. I thought, okay, I'm going to do everything I can so I can feel like what I'm supposed to do, because this is a very life altering decision, whatever I'm about to do. And so I wasn't in doubt at the time, that I could do baptism. So I went almost every single day, every week for a couple of months just to do the baptisms and just to feel like, what am I supposed to do? And I knew I was going to have to leave Utah. It just felt right. And then I just had the feeling to go on a mission and it just felt so right. And my sister, was planning on going on a mission. And she's just a year younger than me. So we'd be serving at the same time. Mm. Um, So that's how I decided.
0: Yeah. Tell us where you got called.
1: I have to tell you up front. So I thought I had it in the bag. I put on my mission papers. My mom is from Thailand. My dad went on his mission to Thailand. My brother went on his mission to Thailand. I can speak (laughs) Thai. I got this. And then I get called to Ukraine Donetsk <laughs> mission on the Eastern side of Ukraine. And I couldn't even pronounce the mission. And I just thought, this is a joke. <laughs> what, what, where is this place And every, I was looking at my mission map and every city had like 18 consonants, you know, like there's no vowels. I'm like, right. okay, I can't even read the names <laughs> of these cities. I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ukraine, that must've hit you so out of the blue. I mean, so out who, thinks, of blue. who thinks I'm going to go to Ukraine? so nobody. (laughs) Yeah. So talk about your experiences in Ukraine.
1: Uh, I can't not to be cliche, but I can't speak about it without getting emotional because I think that shaped me into the adult I am today. And I enjoyed my mission so much and I was able, most of my companions were Russian or Ukrainian. So a lot of them didn't know English and it was such a blessing because I had to speak Russian 100% of the time because that was the only way we could communicate. So I tried to think, you know what? I know these others can be here for 2 years on learn Russian, but I'm going to learn it just as well in 18 months. That was my goal. <laughs> I wanted to speak just as well as they could and it was cold in the winters, it was hot in the summers and I just fell in love with the people and I honestly didn't realize how hard it was until I got home and you know people start sharing mission stories and I start realizing like wow I had a really, really hard mission, <laughs> mm. but I was just so grateful to be there and right. it healed me in so many ways. And thankfully, because I had grown up abroad, things didn't scare me the way I think they would have if I hadn't. And the food was amazing. The culture was amazing. And like I said, because I had learned languages before, it was not that Russian is easy in any way, but I felt like I was able to understand it easier. And obviously with the help of my amazing companions, it just spoke to me all day. And it was just an incredible opportunity. I was able to, our mission wasn't very big. There was only six sister missionaries in the whole mission. And I was one of the only American sisters. And so I had to translate a lot for the senior couples and Hmm. my mission president's wife, who I got very, very close to. And that was such an honor and such a cool thing to be able to be their translator. So it was amazing.
0: What is the church like? in Ukraine, or at least what was it like, uh, when you served?
1: It was, there's like a lot of small branches and obviously it was behind the iron curtain for so many years. And I remember as a child in Saudi Arabia, when everything fell and, you know, it became Russia. I remember that very vividly. And, um, I remember being in Ukraine the day that they announced that I'm going to (laughs) cry that there would be a temple in Ukraine Mm -hmm. and when I tell you people were screaming from joy because they had only had the gospel at that point, 10 years, you know, and they could never imagine having a temple in their country. And the saints there are unlike any I've ever met in my life. And uh, a patriarch had told me that you are going to find all the tribes there. They're hidden there because it's so hard to get there. Right. And so when you would ask members like what tribe they're from, There are tribes I had never heard of, you know, because I just feel like they're just hidden in this country that didn't have access to the gospel. And their faith and the things that they have gone through is just unreal in comparison to what I had seen in my life, you know. And when they love the gospel, they really love the gospel. And so I was able to just teach some incredible people, you know, I'd ask them all the time. And I'm 37 right now. And so a lot of back then I was young, 22. And I would ask the kids my age, like, what was it like to grow up under communism? What was it like? And they're my age. And they're like, we would wait in line. Monday was flower day. So we'd wait in line for five, six, seven, eight hours for flower. Tuesday was, you know, egg day. So we'd wait in line. And these are kids my age. You know, this wasn't like a hundred years ago. And so they truly appreciated the gospel because it wasn't even allowed in the country just a few years before
0: what an incredible shaping experience i'm really starting to get an an under an understanding of you and all these experiences that have built you up and prepared you for the messages you share and everything it's just incredible you come home from the ukraine uh where did you go from there because now you've got your degree is done your mission is done you got a whole world in front of you
1: yeah so i was like looking for jobs when i got home and I thought, Oh, I'm going to go to Washington DC because that's where my sister, who is also just getting home from her mission in France. Um, we go out and live there together. Uh, but there was an elder from my mission, elder Pearson, who I had served with in a couple of different areas that I had kept in contact with when I got home and he was coming out to BYU and we met up and we've been together every single day since <laughs> we got married just a few months later. And um, yeah, I met him on my mission, and I mean, one of the greatest blessings for my mission was finding and meeting my husband. So,
0: all right, so I just have to ask because I know you have kids. That's actually an important part of your vlogging story. I know you yeah. have kids. When you guys want to hide something from the kids, do you speak in Russian with each other? Always. Does that ever happen? Always. <laughs> <laughs>
1: People always say that. Do you guys speak at home? And I was like. Just when we don't want our children to understand yeah.
0: what we're saying. Yeah. If I was one of your kids, that would drive me yeah. nuts. Stop oh, yeah. speaking like, what are you in saying? Russian. What are you saying? <laughs> That's they fantastic. So yeah, you start great. then on this family journey, right? right? And at some point you decide, hey, time to start vlogging. How does that happen? And how long ago was that?
1: So we were living in my husband's grandpa's basement and we had just had our first and he had, my husband had just graduated from BYU and it was when the economy had crashed. And so there were no jobs anywhere. And so my husband found a job in Salt Lake and it paid $22,000 that year. So it was not a lot of money, but thankfully his grandpa let us live there for very inexpensive. And I was in the basement all day with my newborn baby son just by myself. And I'm super lonely. I have nowhere to go. You know, none of my friends live close. None of my family lives close. My mom works a lot. My dad works a lot. And I'm thinking this, there's gotta be something I can do to maybe help supplement an income or just to keep my mind, you know, like I'm kind of going crazy here in this basement. And, uh, going back to my patriarchal blessing, I just felt so strongly that I should start a YouTube channel and we didn't have money for TV, but we did have internet. And so I'd get on YouTube and I'd watch these videos, just random topics. And I just thought, how come there's nothing on here for moms specifically? You know, like I'm lonely and I would love to connect with other moms and people are doing blogs. And I don't really know how to do a blog and do all that stuff, but I do know how to edit because I got my degree in broadcasting. So that's all I did was talk to the camera and edit, right? In my degree. And so I remember filming my very first video. It was like, five must have products for young moms or something. It is so bad. It's really painful to watch. Um, (laughs) But then I put it out into the universe and that was exactly 10 years ago. And I just feel like the spirit spoke so strongly to me then because it changed our lives. And I was able to be a mom and have a supplemental income to help support our family without having to leave every day. And I could post whatever I wanted and then sponsored you know, sponsors would come and offer me money to post about products if I liked them. And then I was able to connect with moms from literally all over the world. And I've just had so many incredible experiences. I've had people message me and say they got baptized, you know, because they were so impressed with how we lived our lives as a family. And um, one of the very big things that I share on my channel is just my mental health struggles after having my babies and dealing with postpartum depression. And I also realized back then that nobody was really talking about it. And I just thought I have this platform and all you see online most of the time is just perfection. And I don't want to be that. I want people to feel like they can connect and find someone. And I just always think of myself as that young, new, lonely mom in the basement, you know, and what would she want to see? What would she want to hear? And I always just try to go back to that and think I want to give them um, videos that can uplift them, make their day, make them take their mind off of the stress of the day or whatever they're going through and just to help them realize that they're not alone.
0: Oh, what a beautiful message. When you first went to your husband and said, Hey, good news. I'm starting a YouTube channel. (laughs) How how was that conversation?
1: You know, my husband, I always joke with everyone. He is my number one fan. He Mm. is, he always supports me in any crazy endeavor. (laughs) I ask, you know, I I have an idea for this. I want to do this. And he's like, okay, let me know. What can I do? Can I watch the kids? What do you need? You know? So he was very excited about it actually. So I'm grateful for that.
0: That is just awesome. And it's important because I got to uh, submerse myself a little bit in watching uh, a whole bunch (laughs) of your videos, which is so fun. And you have this great energy about it, but it's also very real and it's, it should be made clear to our listeners it's not a Latter-day Saint vlog. However, yeah. you don't shy away from, hey, we're members of this this faith and it definitely shows that side of it. Was, it, was that a conscious decision uh, or did it sort of just happen?
1: I think a little bit of both. I never wanted to shy away from who I was. And obviously one of the questions people would always ask is, how did you meet your husband? You know, and so that's just a very simple. Well, I was on a mission for my church. Oh, what church is that? So it's just very natural to share. And I never wanted to, you know, be in your face, just kind of how I was as a missionary. I wanted it to be very natural and I wanted to be very organic. And if people were interested, Um, Which some people have been, you know, um, if they want to ask more about the church, sometimes they come to me and sometimes they, you know, go to the missionaries. But I just wanted it to feel very natural and I just wanted to live my life the way I normally did. But I wanted to show my real, normal, everyday life so people could see that, you know, people who are members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are normal people too. So,
0: <laughs> uh, so fantastic. How long was it? Like, how many videos did you post before you started to think, okay, this is really something. And, and you what know, was that number?
1: Um, I feel like it took a couple of years to really understand. I remember this one company, they're very, very expensive. Like skincare line sent me over a thousand dollars worth of free product And I remember thinking like, what do I do with this? Do I return? Are they going to charge me? You know, like, what do I do with this? I mean, this was so new back then. Like it was not normal for somebody to make money off of YouTube. It wasn't normal. Mm. Um, It was mostly all on the blogs. And so I was very confused, but then I had met a friend who was also a mom in Seattle, Washington, and we're still friends to this day. And she had mentioned my channel and I had jumped 20,000 subscribers, you know, in just a couple of days. And I just thought, wait, this could really be something, you know, like this is such an incredible opportunity to be a mom and I live my life. And all I do is bring a camera. And then when my boys nap, I edit and upload and you know, I get to meet and interact with all these awesome people just from my house. So
0: (laughs) it was pretty
1: crazy. Yeah.
0: So cool. All right. So I have episodes that I get done with the interview and I go greatest episode ever. Phenomenal. Everybody's going to love this. We're about to double our listenership and there's (laughs) a giant meh. And then I have other episodes that I tell my wife, I go, it was solid. It was fine. And the internet lights up and the comments and we get tons of new subscribers because of it. Have you had videos that you thought home run that kind of just laid there? And conversely, have you had others that you thought, I don't know how this is going to do that have really taken off?
1: Yes. I feel like I can't really think of something that I thought was like a home run because I really just try like my biggest thing when I started this was I will be real always. And so You know, I've been doing YouTube for 10 years and so many people I started off with have tens of millions of subscribers now, which which is awesome. But that was never my goal. I, and a lot of times to get that, you have to have clickbait titles or Mm, things that will draw people in to kind of trick people to watch your videos. And I just always from the get go told my husband and I promised myself that I was always going to be honest with what I was putting out there. And maybe it won't get me the millions of followers, but it will always be true to me. And so I've definitely had videos where I've been very real and raw and it's been kind of scary, but then I've received the most feedback. Like I feel that way too. And it's usually the mental health ones that I do when I've talked about my postpartum depression and all of that, those are the ones that usually do the best. And those are the ones that usually people are like me too. I feel like that too. I've never heard it that way. I've never seen it that way. But now that I'm realizing and seeing you talk about this, that it's really helped me. So I've had mostly that.
0: (laughs) Why do you think it's so hard for us to talk about, you know, I I guess, especially Instagram is maybe the ultimate example of, wow, this person's life is perfect. Why is it so hard for people to open up and to share difficult things?
1: I think because it makes them vulnerable. And a lot of times we don't want to take the shield down and expose ourselves because We don't want to be different. We don't want to seem that we're the weird ones or the only ones going through that. And I think there's been a huge shift in social media. And I think it's because people are a lot more open about their real struggles. And I'm so thankful for that because if I was a teenager growing up in this time with all the social media, because I didn't have social media when I was in high school, it'd be very difficult. And so I'm really grateful to those influencers and those people on social media who are opening up because it can be so scary because you feel like I'm alone. Am I the only one experiencing this kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I I didn't read through the comments, but I know you've Mm -hmm. had many amazing comments. You have you have very loyal fans. Obviously, your fan base is just massive. However, knowing a little bit about YouTube and having some experience myself on on YouTube, Mm -hmm. there are people who are just not nice and there are people (laughs) whose only goal in life is you know, and they're affectionately referred to as trolls, but uh, their (laughs) only goal in life is to tear you down. Uh, Mm -hmm. First of all, when you first started reading the negative comments, how did that affect you? And then how do you deal with that now?
1: You know, when I would get a negative comment, there could be a hundred comments and there would be that one comment and it would eat at me for days. And I would cry. I'm such a sensitive person anyway, (laughs) hence me always tearing up when I talk about things that I care about. Um, and I started thinking, you know, is that who I am? Is that what people think I am? Or, you know, the h- horrible comments she feeds her kids horrible things. Let's call CPS on her. You know, I've heard it all.
0: <laughs> oh my um, gosh.
1: But as I started, you know, and I remember other people on social media being like, oh, you'll get thick skin, you'll get used to it. And I just thought, I don't know if I ever can. Um, but as I struggled with my own mental health and as I had been through therapy, you know, over the years, I started realizing that, you know, what people think about me or what people say about me, isn't the truth. That's just their opinion. And most of the time hurt people hurt people. So these people probably aren't happy themselves. And once I started looking at it like that and not giving it the attention, maybe it's just because I'm not looking as much, but I don't really, I'm not really phased by those comments. You know, I think it comes with the territory of if you're going to put yourself out there, there's no way that 100% of people are going to like you 100% of the time. But what about those other 99% of people that do like you? And, you know, if I can just help one person, then that negative comment is fine by me.
0: (laughs) What a beautiful perspective because it is out there. There are people, and I love that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but it's so true. And you got to feel bad Mm -hmm. for people who that's their life is tearing people down.
1: Uh, yeah, there is
0: one video, and I don't know if it had the most views, but mm-hmm. it you know—you give so many great tips and, and all these things about being a mother and about mental health, and mental health is obviously a big part of your mission in all of this. But the one that I saw that had just ridiculous number of views was a gender reveal. Did that surprise <laughs> yeah. you that that one took off like that? And wh- is that your most watched one or no?
1: Um, it's one of my most watched ones. I think the most watched one is when I announced that I'm having twins. I think that might be up there too, but it's been, uh, pretty fun because when I, sorry, when I started my YouTube channel, I had one child and he was six months old at the time. And so I have vlogged, you know, then I got pregnant with my second and I vlogged all the time when I was pregnant with my second. And then I got pregnant with my third. And then I got pregnant with what I thought was my fourth. And so I had like grown up as a mom with a lot of these viewers. And so it was so fun to share, you know, these exciting things with my viewers who I feel like a lot of them have become my friends and they've followed my journey from just being a mom of one to now a mom of five, you know? So I think they're pretty excited <laughs> to see what my twins were going to be because they were so invested over the 10 year period, you know, so.
0: Yeah. How big was that adjustment bringing in twins?
1: (laughs) It was one of, if not the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life. For sure, right? It was emotionally, physically, mentally, just, and I mean, they're four now. And I tell other twin moms that it's literally taken four years for me to feel like I can put my feet back under me (laughs) because it just threw me off because my other kids were so young at the time. So my oldest was six when they were born. So I had five oh, kids under the age of six. And five it was, under
0: six, Michelle. Yeah,
1: it was crazy <laughs> to say the least.
0: Is sometimes making the video, is it sometimes a release? Like, like, are you able to just kind of get it out by putting a video out? it's
1: so therapeutic. I am such a big (laughs) journaler. Like I have here in my basement, I have, I started my journal in 1993. So I was nine years old and I've kept a journal every single year of my life since. And so the video vlogs, um, are basically just something I think will be fun for my kids to look back on and be like, Oh, this is what my mom felt in that time of life. Or, you know, it's been so therapeutic because I just open up and share what I'm really going through. And it's cool because like I said, my viewers have been able to see the ups and downs of everything. So it's fun to show them now I'm on the other side of twins. Cause I have so many twin moms that follow me like, okay, if you can do it, I can do it. If you're doing this, I can do this. And so I hope I can be that to them. Like I'm on the other side. <laughs> I feel great. Awesome. It took four years, but I'm here.
0: <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were at Costco and a woman ran up to me and said, I know you, I know you. You are the Latter-day Saint comedian guy. I know you I've watched your videos. (laughs) I know you. When that happens to me, I never know what to say. And I feel like I get super uncomfortable. Like there's sort of a safety shield with the podcast. I've I've had people come up and say, Hey, you don't know me, but I, you know, I listen to your podcast. When you meet people who are fans of yours, are you comfortable? Do you know what to say? Are you naturally comfortable? And maybe you have tips for me because. (laughs) I always, I just don't know what to say to people.
1: I feel like at first it was so weird, you know, like, wait, this is so crazy. Like I'm just in my basement, you know, and people know me or whatever. Um, But I feel like it's just really fun. And I feel like it's such a, it's very flattering and it's like my favorite is when I've had like teenage girls follow me from the time they're 12 and now they're 22 and they have their own kid. You know, I've had a few people been like, I watched you growing up, and now I'm a mom myself.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> so, so neat. that's
1: been really cool. So I, it's actually really cool to meet them in person and be like, Oh, I'm actually talking to people. Like people are actually watching this and they're real people. So it's the same for you. It's like, there's actual ears listening.
0: <laughs> Did they ever ask your husband to take photos with you? Like, For him to take the photo, because that is my wife. My wife doesn't mind when I have fans, but when she has to take the photos, that's where she's like, "Okay, let me move (laughs) along."
1: (laughs) He's always the best. He'll get like he'll get his own phone out and get the flash on, so there's like good lighting. (laughs) I just always think he is such. He's just my biggest fan. Like I said, he's just the best.
0: (laughs) When's he launching his YouTube channel? (laughs) I know
1: he's. He's like I'm not for the camera. He just likes to be behind the scenes. So.
0: That is awesome. So 10 years of vlogging
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, and now all of a sudden five kids that you're raising and all these experiences, what specifically in doing this vlog for 10 years, what have you learned about yourself or what have you learned about the world in, in this whole experience?
1: I feel like, I mean, this makes a lot of sense with what's going on in our world right now that we're more similar Then we are different. And, you know, talking to moms from literally all over the world and them telling me their problems, they're the exact same as mine. You know, they're a different religion, they live in a different country, they speak a different language, but we have so much more in common than we realize. And we all struggle. We all want what's best for our kids. We all want to be the best mom that we can be. And, for me, it's pretty powerful how unifying that can feel. You know, we come from all different walks of life, but we can learn so much from each other. And I I truly believe that the internet is made for that purpose, to bring us closer together and to help us meet people we wouldn't have met otherwise.
0: So, I can only imagine what a lifeline you were during the heart of the pandemic. You know, when people felt very isolated, you must have been such a comforting voice, especially, can you imagine moms who had a one or a two-year-old and suddenly you're in lockdown. That's uh, what a great mission that you have. Well, now uh, for our handful of listeners who don't already follow you, now they're chomping at the bit. Tell us the best ways to follow you. What's your YouTube channel called?
1: My YouTube channel is just my name. It's Michelle Pearson. If you put it in the search bar, it should just pop up.
0: Yeah, it pops up and there are a lot of great videos. Like I said, I became a fan. I started Thanks. following you. So I think it's just fantastic Thank you. what you're doing. And then you also share a lot of things on other social media, like Instagram.
1: Yeah. So on Instagram, I am Mish Pearson and Facebook, I'm Mish Pearson, but that's usually the same content. So yeah, usually Instagram is my most active
0: As social just- media site. I love what you're doing. You're out there putting so much good in the world. And I love, Thank especially, you. I think it's easy, especially as parents, to become defeatist and to say, oh, no, the internet's terrible. YouTube is terrible. Social media is a yeah. waste of time. And the only way we're going to change it is by being the creators and putting good out in the world. And there's mm-hmm. no question that you're doing this. Uh, we are going to wrap things up with the question that we ask all of our guests.
1: Mm-hmm. And that
0: is, what does being a member of the church mean to you?
1: Ah. <sighs> I can't talk about this without crying. Um, Being a member of the church has been the greatest blessing of my life because it has guided me my whole life. And as you saw in all the different decisions I have made, I have felt guided the entire time. And I'm so grateful for the gospel, for letting me know what that voice was. And I feel so grateful for the opportunity for everything and going even back to my patriarchal blessing just being prepared for what was to come because of that blessing and how special that is Um, to know what was in store for me. If I follow the commandments and if I kept my promises and I just feel so grateful to have the knowledge and the hope so that no matter what comes the pandemic, my husband lost his job. That same time, there was just a lot going on. The gospel gives me hope and no matter what storm our family goes through or what happens, I feel like I always have that faith and I always have that hope um, because of the gospel. And I'm so grateful for that because it's been my continuous guiding light through every challenge and through every different trial and blessing and all the happy moments. Um, I'm grateful for that.
0: She is a mother. She is a wife. She is a YouTube true bonafide star and she's an influencer (laughs) for good. Michelle Pearson, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you so, so much for having me.
0: And my special thanks to Michelle Pearson for not only coming on the show, but for all the good she does in the world. I so thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Thank you, Michelle. This week in my Latter-day Life, as I mentioned last week, I've Spent, uh, well, it's been about a week and a half that I spent uh, on the Oregon coast. Such beautiful country. All of our listeners in Oregon, you are very blessed for the the beauty in which you live. Uh, but I was there working on some projects on a house. And uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but I am not handy at all. I am the opposite of a handyman. And not only am I not good at it, I don't enjoy it. I have friends who will say, oh, I spent this whole weekend... Painting a room or putting together furniture or whatever, and they love it. I don't get that at all. I hate it. <laughs> my mind does not work that way. Like assembling things is just not my strong suit or, or doing construction type remodeling, whatever. But I had some projects that I had to do and I learned some interesting lessons. Uh, one of the first ones I had to do was I had to assemble four Adirondack chairs and, and I don't mean I had to build them. Like, I didn't have to cut out the wood and design it or anything. No, they're ones I ordered from Amazon. And they came with even the tools that you needed for it. And it said that it was going to take about 20 minutes to build the chair. And I had ordered four of them. Well, I started one night on the first chair and couldn't figure out the instructions and then put it together incorrectly and had to take it apart again and was super frustrated and so tired of it and I just hated it but I was the only one there I had to do it and it took me about an hour and a half and <laughs> I was so miserable and it ended up looking really nice by the time it was done but an hour and a half for a 20-minute chair oh I hated it And so I went to bed that night, and then uh, the next evening, I started working on the second chair, and I remembered some things from the first chair, and it was a little bit easier, and I actually got it done in a little over 45 minutes, almost half the time that it had taken me before. And I was pretty pumped on that, that, hey, 45 minutes, so happy. I was watching sports and putting together a chair. Even though I still didn't enjoy it, 45 minutes was so much better that I started working on the third chair. And the third chair took me about a half an hour to do. And then on to the fourth chair. And the fourth chair took me about 25 minutes. I never got down to 20 minutes. But on the fourth chair, I didn't even have to look at the instructions. I just kind of knew what to do. And things came together pretty well for me. Well, then I had to hang some lights outside, three lights, out on an outside wall. And I am not an electrician and don't know what I'm doing there. And the first one, I got it all done and hung up there after a lot of just sweat and near tears. And it wouldn't turn on. And oh, for Pete's sake, I hate this. So I had to redo it and redo it. And the whole thing was just such a drag and I didn't like it but I finally got that first one up. And you know, the second one was a lot easier and it went up. And Even though I had a few challenges, it was fine. The third one felt like nothing at all. It was so easy to do that it just felt fantastic. I mean, everything I did, there were a lot of tasks I had to do over the last week and a half that were repetitive tasks. And the first time it just felt like it was so much to do. But over time you know, I kind of got better at it. And it's not that the nature of the task had changed. The fourth chair and the third light weren't any easier specifically to do. It's that my ability to do it had changed. And that means that I had grown and I had learned. And I was grateful for those challenges. I feel more confident in myself. And isn't this always the way? I think sometimes in our spiritual life, Uh, You know, we can can get stressed out by a new calling or a new ministering assignment or something that we need to take on. Or we might look at someone in our ward and go, I could never do the calling they do, or I could never raise the type of family they raised. Well, A, it's not your job to do that, but B, they probably thought that too before they got started. I always joke that uh, a lot of kids is one more than you already have. That's the definition of a lot of kids. And the more that we take these things on, we start to learn, wow, I can do this. And it almost just becomes natural as we take on callings, as we take on responsibilities. But the key is to actually take them on. If I could have figured out hiring someone to do the lights, and I actually tried, I'm embarrassed to say they were simple lights, but I had called around, this is in a small town in Oregon, I had called around to every electrician in the area. They were all three or four weeks out. I was forced to do it. And I'm glad I did. There's a lot of satisfaction in it. I don't want to put up anymore. I am not good at this kind of stuff, but I sure did learn. And I think sometimes we just get so full of anxiety and fear and what ifs and oh no's. And if we'll just do it, we'll be surprised that we can actually make it through some pretty difficult things. And then when we do it a second time and a third time and a fourth time and we don't give up, again, the nature of the task hasn't changed, but our ability to take it on definitely does. And I think it's also the same way with all things in the gospel, with scripture study, with repentance. You know, Sometimes these things, they just feel so hard, but we do it again and again, and we kneel down and we pray again and we study again. And eventually we get much better at it. I'm just grateful, grateful for the opportunity to take on hard things and to get better at them. Sometimes, getting older, you do get better at certain things, and well, that's not the worst. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. If you know anyone, who would enjoy these conversations if you could share it with them? It's the only way the show grows, is when people uh, share it with their friends. Uh, the Latter-day Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.